Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Week 3 preview, mwwire.com is where all of our previews, random stuff, rankings, bowl projections, basically, Matt, whatever you want over there, right? If you want to know about this week's games, just head to our website. That's where you go. Or And listen to us, too. Both things are acceptable and encouraged. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we got all this stuff going on. Um, we got a busy weekend, man. We have – we should jump right into We have all Saturday games. For probably what? I'm betting without looking and not knowing or not doing research at a time. Betting this is the only time all year we have all Saturday games in the regular season. Oh man, I wish I had thought to look that up. <laughs> but you might be right. I mean, yeah, because you know you think about Thanksgiving, you think about like Friday night games and things like that. Yeah, this is this is the kind of day where you're gonna roll out of bed. You're gonna you know enjoy mimosa while you're watching New Mexico and Texas A&M. And then you just power through the entire day because, you know, Santa, if you're on the East Coast listening to this, Ooh. San Jose State in Hawaii is kicking off 1230 on Sunday morning out there. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun weekend for sure. There are some games. Yes, there's no break either throughout the day. I'm looking through like, can you do this or that? Any type of nap? Sometimes we have those early games. There might be some weird mid-afternoon game, which there is a Wyoming like Ball State game or CSU Toledo. But then it's like okay, the two o'clock Mountain Kick. Then it's like eight o'clock. Not the case. So do what you gotta do. Get all your screens out there. Record some games to watch tomorrow if you're on Sunday if you want to do that. If you're inclined to watch as much as everything as possible, which again encouraged to do so. But let's get to it. So we have the first game of the day, early morning game, nine Eastern for you, mate. It's up early. New Mexico Lobos um, have the um, – how should we put this? Is opportunity the best way to put it, to play Texas A&M? Yes. <laughs> and they get the matchup on the field against a different set of Aggies, which are basically New Mexico State's, what, the bottom 10, and Texas A&M is basically a top 10 team. I guess they officially are number seven in the in the rankings here. So They are. It's gonna but be... A&M's been a little uneven so far, haven't they? They only beat Colorado 10-7. to 7. Yeah, and so, you know, for, for those of you who didn't watch that game last week, you know, A&M didn't lead until we're, there were, I think, three minutes left in the game. They were correct? down. My brother texts me. I go, what's going on? Because he's a Texas A&M grad. It's 7-3 to three at halftime. You're losing. 
And Colorado played pretty good last season. Like, they are one of the surprise teams. They beat San Diego State, and they were pretty good last year. They were close to playing that Pac-12 title game, I believe. Yeah. They're well, pretty... they got kind of screwed out of playing yeah, it, if I'm they're, right. They're, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. There, there are some stuff going on. That's why I said they kind of, they're close. Like, they were in – whatever. They were good last year. And yeah. Texas A&M, like, yes, starting quarterback goes out with an extensive injury. But if you're supposed to be top 10 team, you should be beating Colorado, who's, correct, not ranked at the moment. You shouldn't be They're struggling not. to do what you did against the Buffs. Not that that gives too much credence to Lobos having a real shot in this game, but just saying, are they really a top-10 team with Jimbo Fisher? I don't know. They're kind of like an almost team, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, you know when you look at the Vegas line, which maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little it's bit. It's moved a lot already. See that the line's already moved. I'm seeing it at 29.5. I believe. Uh, over on Vegas Insider. Yeah, same. I'm looking at ESPN there, like, but I'm trying to find my picks here, like the picks I said. Now, I believe it started like at 25. Yeah, it's so gone it's up. gone up, and you know a lot of that is owed to you know the, the obvious talent advantage that the Aggies are going to take out there on in the field. But you know the the big question for this team so far is you know that talent hasn't necessarily played up to all of its potential just yet. So you know you mentioned the 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 Aggies uh, starting quarterback Haynes King. Mm-hmm. Out indefinitely now. We know it's a fractured leg, yeah. so you know the guy, the guy who took his place last week, Zach Calzada, only a sophomore. Yeah. You know, definitely took some time in that game to get going. But I saw um, from I believe one of the uh, from the managing editor over at Good Bull Hunting at SB Nation. In the first three quarters, it was not great. You know, ten of twenty-four for sixty-five yards. Nope. But he found a way to make plays down the stretch. So in the fourth quarter, he kind of he definitely put it a little more together. Eight of 14, 118 yards, and of course, you know they they had the game-winning touchdown. So yeah. you know, based off of that, based off of it, seems like the reports are that he's looked pretty sharp in practice. You know, now that he's you know definitely in that starting role for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to have a lot of talent at his disposal. Like he's going to have an, an all-American offensive tackle and Kenyon Green, Green protecting him. He's going to have you know a, a potential first-round NFL running back and Isaiah Spiller behind him. You know he's going to have a, a guy who could win the Mackey Award in, in Jalen Weidermeyer at tight end. You know Anaya Smith, mm-hmm. um, and you know between Smith, Spiller, and I believe their other running their other running back and who, who's actually the team's leading rusher right now. Uh, Devin Achani, all of those guys have accounted for all of AM's touchdowns so far this year. So, you know, they have, of course, secondary weapons that they can rely upon, but, like, their stars are stars. Yeah, yeah they're and, Yes, they are big-time players. They were last year. Like, they're going to be a team, most likely a fringe playoff team, whatever, I don't talk about it too much, but they're like a team, a top-10 team, going to be on the outskirts, like, if they – because they always play in the West. SEC, got play Alabama, got play LSU. Yeah, and so, so like, you know, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that, like, the Lobos are going to need to bring their A-plus game on defense hey, in particular. Yeah. But, hey, hey, hold on. And Offense, it, they have the reigning mountainous player of the week, so don't that's That's that. true. We'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to Terry Wilson. But, yeah, but I think that the potential problem for New Mexico is we haven't seen them play a flawless football just yet. Like not against Houston Baptist, not against New Mexico State. You know, there were there were times where they put it together, and they've been on the whole much better than they were for most of 2020. So, so I'm not saying that like they have no chance. It's just you know, it's 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 Sorry. it's a very slim chance. I guess what I'm saying. 
yeah, the, this it's not it's they're cashing their seven figure check, like that's what mm-hmm. this game t- basically is. However, like the positive you see, like it's a new, like I get well, I don't know, it's hard to say. Quarterback got in and played a decent amount, so it's his first start. It's at home. The crowd will be whatever. It's an early. It's 11 a.m. local kickoff too. It's like it's on the SEC yeah. network. We forgot to mention. So this is clearly the bottom game of the SEC essentially this week because A and M should roll. But that third that line 30. Like if you're doing any money money on the game, like 29 after that's a lot. I don't like. And here's the thing. They only scored seven points. Like they, you know what I mean. Like they did not score ten points last week. Yeah, I mean, so, if you if you look at it in, ter- of, in terms of over only production, fifty, it's only fifty. That's what's that like forty to ten? Is that they're telling us is going to be? <laughs> yeah, and and what you know when you look at it on a, like uh, in terms of expected points added, and so just as a as a brief brief primer for those of you who don't know what EPA is, it's sort of a way of of measuring how valuable any given play at any given point in the field is. Um, so, like, when you gain two yards on third and ten, that's bad. But if you gain three yards on third and two, that's better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, long way, it's a long way of saying, so far, A&M is sort of below average in terms of EPA per play. And that mm-hmm. and that comes both running the football and throwing it. Um, and that's, you know, that's courtesy of Parker Fleming over at CFB Graphs. So it's sort of strange to say that, considering that I think both uh, uh, Achane and uh, Spiller are both averaging at least five yards of carry, mm-hmm. but they just haven't they haven't really hit their stride yet. But it, it, but I would say, and perhaps this is obvious, that they are more likely to do <laughs> so um, than New Mexico's defenses against this offense with this kind of talent. It's interesting because they still put up forty one versus Kent State. Yeah, but again, also in that game as well because my brother is actually at that game and got to go, which is cool. A and M only scored ten points in the first half. It was 10 yeah. to 3 at the break. And so they needed a second half surge, which would make sense. You wear them down. You're more talented. You're just more athletes. And it'll just wear down this team. But there are little things here and there where maybe Lobos can make an interesting, like Kent State did for a little bit here and there. Because Terry Wilson, I believe he played against Texas AM when he was at Kentucky, I think. He did it once. Yeah. So he and puts- he was, I believe, he, if I remember correctly, and Steve Bergen put this out there from the Albuquerque Journal. Mm-hmm. I believe he was 13 of 20 for, I think, I want to say it was 104 yards. Yeah, some Instagram he reached, he screenshotted or something from Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a chance, but, you know, just, I mean, we just talked about all the offensive talent and, you know, that, that is as true for the defense as it is for the offense. I think, you know, you mentioned Terry Wilson as being the key to this game, just the fact that, you know he's looked pretty good so far through two games, and and obviously going from New Mexico State to you know to Texas A&M's defense is a huge mm-hmm. jump in difficulty, especially when you consider that you know defense hasn't been the problem for them so far this year. You know they shut down Dustin Crum, who's one of the better quarterbacks anywhere in the group of five in in week one against Kent State. Yeah. Um, and you know Colorado was I think they were starting a true freshman when their when their incumbent starter got hurt in the preseason. So, but, you know, point remains the same. Like, they gave up seven points to Colorado. They gave 10 to a pretty good Kent State offense. Mm. So, you know, Wilson is, is going to have his difficulties. But to me, the bigger key is how much Bobby Cole and Aaron Dumas can do. Because, you know, you saw a little more production from them as a duo last week against New Mexico State than they had in the opener yeah. uh, against Houston Baptist. But I think if... 
Texas A&M is going to get beat anywhere. It's probably on the ground. Just because in terms of like tackles per loss, yes, they're averaging seven TFLs in, in each of the first two games. That's near the bottom of the SEC relative to the rest of the conference. Yeah, it's we're not kidding ourselves at what this outcome is going to be. But mm-hmm. they're, like you said, they're A&M's a slow start team, backup quarterback. Um, like all these different things, defense is clearly there just because of the fewer few points they've given up all year. They've given up, mm-hmm. what, 17 total points in two games? So, yeah, and you know, case in point, like Kent State, even though they didn't, it didn't show on the scoreboard, they ran the ball pretty effectively against the Saggies front seven. Um, you know, they averaged over seven yards of carry. It was 7.21. They scored, you know, yeah, they scored a touchdown. I think it was on the ground. Yeah. Well, you know, A and M has talent up front, and obviously, I think Marvin Leal is probably the big name that you know. Especially if you're an NFL fan, you're probably looking forward to to seeing what he can do. But again, like they've been pushed a little bit by teams that know what they're doing on on a little on offense, and so if New Mexico can take a look at what Kent State did well, and if they can replicate that with with Cole and Dumas, and, and maybe even a little bit with Wilson himself, I think they can't win the game if the running game gets shut down early. Because I think if Texas A&M forces them to be one-dimensional, as improved as they've looked through the air, they're just not going to be able to do that for 60 minutes against this defense. No, and it's, it's going to struggle. Like, Honestly, if the Lobos get 17 points, like, or here's one thing I'll look at this game: 10 to Kent State, seven to Colorado. I think it's score. Mm-hmm. That was right. It was 10 or yeah, 10 to seven, right? The Colorado game. Uh, yes. Are they going to score? Are going to be the first team to break 10 points against Texas A&M? Can they score more than 10 points? Actually, you know, what? can I can I correct myself real quick? I said that they they had uh, that Kent State had averaged seven point two. That was what they had gave up oh. to to A&M. But you know, <laughs> that but the Golden Flashes did still average over five yards carry, which is again still not nothing. Okay, let's go back to my question: Is they are they going to break ten points? I think they will. Okay. I I would imagine that they would probably do so in garbage time. <laughs> yeah, I think like. Uh... I think that's what it's going to be here. Like, I'm, what's it? What is it? Is it like okay? Is like what is, is FEI and SP plus give it like over thirty points? Like, uh, well, I know that FEI doesn't. They you know, they do favor Texas A and M pretty heavily by twenty three point eight. Yeah. Um, SP plus. Uh, ooh, yeah. They see they see this one as being a, a big Aggie victory. Thirty eight point six. Is the projected margin? Mm, okay. Um, <laughs> what's your prediction? Because I see the picks made on our website, and well, clearly most people are going. Everybody's going Texas A&M, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the Lobos have shown that they can probably hang around a little bit in the same way that Kent State hung around a little bit. I'm just not sure if the defense is going to be able to hold up. You know, even with a, a brand new quarterback under center. I just think there's too much offensive talent that Texas A&M has, and I, I just you know one or two big plays. It's all it's going to take for them to keep the Lobos at bay. So, what's your score prediction here? I'm going to go 45 to 17. So that pushes or not barely covers 28 and a half. <laughs> I guess 29 it would, yeah. and a half. It opened just on our picks. I put a note on there, and I'll go off years there. It opened at 28. Mm-hmm. I have New Mexico covering because I think that's. Um, acceptable because that's too many points 
and the Aggies going on slow. So I think it's going to be a lot. I'm going to be like, I think they'll put crack 10, but I think they'll be, I'll go, let's see, uh, 42 to 17. That All right, then. Yeah, that, that gets it right. Yeah, that does. Yes. So that's, that's making sure my math is right here. I think that's what's going to be. They'll score something here or there, but yeah, it's going to be a long day. Cash your check. Don't get hurt. And Terry Wilson said, put them on their back. Well, here's your chance to do something big. Because if you upset the Texas A&M Aggies, oh boy, that changes a lot of things. But um, yes, it does. Not going to happen, unfortunately. Well, you know what I mean. Next game. This is a very important game yeah, for the Mountain West. 12 p.m. Mountain Time, 11 Pacific, 1 Central, Manhattan, Kansas, ESPN Plus. Disrespect the two undefeated teams there. What's up with that? Nevada huh. at Kansas State. Wolfpack is a two-point road favorite over Kansas State, which, sure, why not? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, um, I mean, there, I'm, I would imagine there's a very good reason for that. Starting quarterback is out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, you know, he, it seems to be a, a kind of a theme for this mm-hmm. week, I guess. But yeah, Skylar Thompson also out indefinitely. I think, he, or is he out for the year? I can't recall. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think indefinitely. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not entirely sure at the moment. And and given how well he engineered the Wildcats' offense in the first couple of weeks, you know, they averaged over six point three yards per play, which is you know pretty solid. Like it's middle of the pack in terms of like Big Twelve teams. But you know he's a guy who like who knew that offense, knew how to make it go, not only with his arm but with his legs a little bit as well. And you know without him, it's it's sort of it, it, it sort of makes me wonder what they're going to be able to do to just keep the Wolfpack from focusing on Deuce Vaughn because you know Vaughn I think is definitely a, a a guy who can change the dynamic of a game in one play. He's a big play guy. And he's averaged over six yards a carry himself, but he also, I think, has, what, three times as many carries as anybody else on the team so far? He's a lot. Something in that neighborhood. It's a guy they're going to have to focus on directly. Yeah, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the guy replacing him, Will Howard, who, even in his kind of spot duty, a little bit dicey of production. You know, 80 of 17 on the year, forty. that's a 47% completion rate, only averaged four and a half yards per attempt, no touchdowns, one interception. It's a it's a difficult spot to be stepping into. It, yeah, it's interesting. This game overall, I'm not sure what to yeah to make up overall because they beat Stanford easily, twenty four seven in the opener, mm-hmm. a neutral site we should mention. Then Stanford goes out and blows out USC, and then they squeak by essentially versus Southern Illinois FCS team. Mm-hmm. So and. Thompson's yeah, technically indef- indefinitely knee injury, so who cares if he comes back or not? And for our sakes, just because they don't play any Mountain West teams, hopefully it's not too severe. But it, it like how do you what do we compare from these games? Where the is it because the backup quarterback came in because it was on um when the first quarter, you know what I mean? So and they barely beat the. Well, I mean, it's hard. Well, I mean, com- compare that overall performance to the one we just talked about for Calzada at Texas A and M. Where yeah, it was it was shaky early, but he put it together late. We didn't see that from K State's new quarterback, Will Howard, and so I think that's it's definitely a question mark. Where with the, the kind of defensive showing that the Wolfpack have put together over the first couple of games, mm-hmm. they should feel confident about their ability to to put the clamps on him as, as a thrower or and, and force Vaughn to try to win the game and put that offense on his back. And without Thompson, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that at least consistently. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's a new quarterback. Because it's different playing from FCS to FBS and a good Nevada team who will see what Will Howard can do. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Or what they can, what what can happen. So I, it's not new, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you don't play much at Stanford. You're not you're like, you know I mean? You get in there. It's this it, it I don't know. It's just, it's ugh. watching or thinking about what Nevada can do. I just think the two Nevada is probably going to win by more than that. Mm-hmm. Because everybody like just everybody knows what I am for Nevada person. I think Nevada's vastly underrated at the moment, as is your Fresno State Bulldogs, despite with the loss, they should be much higher. But we saw like a defensive touchdown last week. I know they played Idaho State. They have too many weapons, like Nevada does. Like if we look at Kansas State's defense, they did well against Stanford, only seven points in that one game. But the, the there's too many like what team anywhere in college football, unless you're like really really elite team because usually if you're a really good team you pass the ball very well to a bunch of guys or you run like you most teams who are top outside of the top 10 unless you're top 10 are really good at all these different things not mm-hmm. and nevada's not in there and they have cole turner they have elijah cooks last week they have um, romeo dub they have toa Tal, they have carson strong like they have a potential first overall number one overall quarterback i don't think kansas state can cover everything Nobody, no team Maybe will. not. I mean, I think I, th- I would imagine that a lot is going to have to do with how often they choose to blitz or how often they put faith in their front four to get pressure on Carson Strong where, you know, Idaho State and, and Cal really couldn't. Because, you know, the Wildcats do have some, some talent on defense that really can't be overlooked. You know, they've got a defensive end duo in Khalid Duke and, and Felix Anudike Uzoma. Mm-hmm. Five sacks so far in, in the first two games combined. And so I think that's where you start looking at this potential kind of one on, you know, the one on one matchups on offense. You know, those two guys against Nevada's tackles, you know, Jacob Gardner and Aaron Frost, that's going to be like a matchup worth paying close attention to because, you know, all four of those guys have, have looked like they've been at the top of their game in, in the early going of the season. So, you know, whichever guy can, you know, you know, make it you know, the more consistent impact, or, or maybe in, in the case of Gardner and Frost, preventing that kind of impact. To me, that is going to make one of the big differences in the game because if if Strong gets consistent time to throw, then I just don't know if Kansas State has enough defensive back talent to, to be able, to, like you said, to, to cover all the guys that they're going to be able to throw out there. Yeah, they got those four guys have at least two tackles for loss this year as well in two games. So. Mm-hmm. It's- Get, they're getting around to get to the quarterback, whatever. I, I what not Idaho State, that's Nevada, Southern Illinois, whatever. Yeah. You still get to the back of the lake. Like again, it's the Stanford games kind of confounding because David Shaw, like we think he's a good head coach for Stanford, but Stanford wasn't really good last year. They, they basically since they lost was it, um, Christian McCaffrey and who was the other guy Heisman? Andrew, Andrew Luck. Well, not Luck, but or, also are you talking about Bryce Luck? Yeah, Bryce Luck, who would have been Heisman guy, but tore his ACL. But yeah, even Andrew Luck, like, well, okay, maybe Andrew Luck, that's really good. But like, even since McCaffrey, they haven't been all that good. They've kind of been what fourth, fifth in the Pac-12 North out there. They because last year they did go four and two on their final four games, beating Washington and UCLA. But like, they haven't been like the team that they're, oh they're going to contend. The year before, they barely they even make a bowl game. Like they're getting mm-hmm. lose like four, five of the last six in 2019. They haven't had like an elite season in a couple of years. Like they went to the Sun Bowl. Ooh, good for you. You win like nine games. You know what I mean? You win nine games mm-hmm. in 2018. They haven't been really good in a while. 
that they're always that team. Like, oh, they're going to contend. They're going to punch you around. Or they're basically kind of like what San Diego State is a little bit. Or what, when we talk about the Utah San Diego State game, they're kind of mirror images of pretty good quarterback play, solid running back, but really good defense and big guys up front. And so yeah. that's, that's weird. Not weird, but like going back to Kansas State, like they just pushed around and just dominated that game. But again, they don't have their starting quarterback anymore. They, like, it's not like he did well. Anyway, see, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong wrong team here. They showed me the wrong, the McKee. I'm like, he had 100 yards? No, he didn't. That wasn't the Kansas State guy. Um, but when we look at that game. They won because Deuce Vaughn ran the ball, 124 yards. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't pass very well. Skylar Thompson, not that he's a quarterback now, but just in general, only threw 9 to 14 times. So we're going to expect a heavy dose of guys running the ball. And receivers, they're fine, but we don't know. They're not too many guys when they're throwing 10, 10 receptions a game. And catches a game. They beat Stanford because their defense slowed them down, like what you mentioned, all those guys in overall where they had Darnell Green, all these type of guys, Fletcher getting sacks in TFL. So it's <clears> gonna be like the off and I don't it's the offense is gonna carry which is all which is no surprise. You know, Matt, like the offense is always what's gonna carry this Nevada team. And Stanford is a completely different offense than what Nevada does. Like Stanford barely threw the ball. They threw the ball efficiently but not down the field like their combined quarterbacks you had brought in jack west in that first game with tanner mckee 23 30 so you can pass the ball against kansas state but they only threw like six years six and a half yards per play they they completely shut down any running game stanford had which, which is shocking so with those three receivers like can those four guys on the defensive end linebackers like can they get the pass rush if you're going four receivers deep you know what i mean like at, or at least three plus toa Tawa back there they mm-hmm. if they spread them out it's a quick pass, you know what I mean? Like, there's, I don't think that defense is going to be able to do enough all the time. Like, will they get to Carson Strong? Of course. Like, yeah, they'll he'll probably get a couple sacks in this game, a bunch of TFLs from Toa Tawa, but with the way they spread it out, they're not going to be able to – it's just going to be too difficult for them to stop. Like I said, basically stop it all. That's from circling back to too many weapons on offense. Well, it's sort of interesting, though, because, like, when you look at the – like, you know, you look at the – the matchups potentially, you know, one on one in the in the in the defensive backfield. Kansas State's got some pretty tall defensive backs. You know, like all all four of their corners listed on the two deep are at least six foot tall, which I think makes for a really interesting matchup against you know the likes of like, for example, six foot two Romeo Dubs or six foot six Cole Turner or six foot four Elijah Cooks, because you know those those kind of physical matchups between tall rangy guys. It's something that you won't see a lot of, I think, in, in Mountain West play. So, you know, what happens when, you know, Cooks is up against six before Julius Brents at corner back on the outside or something like that? Or, or, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Kansas State knows how to get their hands on the football. Like, they already have six passes defended as a team, and they already have three interceptions as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can't just take for granted that Carson, Carson Strong is going to be able to pick them apart. Like, they've got guys back there who can make plays, but I think if if Nevada can have can seize the advantage by like getting rid of the ball quickly, and you know, maybe they wait until they get in an offensive rhythm to take their shots down the field, and they work underneath to kind of soften up K State. Yeah, I think if they do that and they were able to do that consistently, then that's probably the way of of, of getting out to an early advantage and being able to hold onto it late. And I think the only thing, what one thing too they need to avoid is the cow game where it's a slow start. Like there was concerns that came yeah. down fourteen zero. They made a nice comeback. Could have been better or worse in that game. Like 
the way, if I'm trying to recall, like the there could have been situations where it was worse than that on those drives. They could be able <clears> to continue going in that first quarter, early second quarter. But like overall, backup quarterback, the best offense you've seen all year by miles. Coming off playing a Southern Illinois, it's a new FBS, good FBS team, which is going to be ranked fairly soon. I don't really see, unless Nevada plays like the diverse count in that first quarter and the Dom Peterson, that defense lets Kansas State run wild. That's like the one of the few ways where it's going to be the ground game where Kansas State and those four defenders you, we've been talking about take it to victory. And I don't think there can be enough pressure because at some point they'll break through. There's too many guys, too many plays that Hell Mummy runs to get to Turner, Tella, Brooke, or Dubs, and uh, Cooks, I should say, out there. And mm-hmm. so let me put it this way. For Kansas State to win, they need, they need to play a more perfect game than Nevada because Nevada always has comeback potential, I think. I think that's fair to say. So what did like, the advanced stuff stay for, advanced numbers say for this particular matchup? Interestingly, both FEI and SP Plus favor Kansas State, though. Why? Um, that is a good question. They don't I mean, tell you why? Point. I mean, I mean <laughs> here, 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 okay, so injuries are a blind spot for, for offensive metrics like this, so okay. that is probably something to keep in mind. Um, that being said, FEI favors Kansas State by 12.9. SP Plus favors the Wildcats by 5.5. What do you say? I think Nevada's going to be able to take care of business because, you know, even if the even if Kansas State is able to get improved play at quarterback from Howard. I just don't know how they're going to be able to keep Nevada off the scoreboard that often because, you know, they can bring pressure, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to do it consistently. You know, so I can see them making plays here and there. I can see them keeping it close. I would take the Wolfpack to cover, maybe not necessarily comfortably, but I think they'll probably win by a touchdown. I'm going to say 31 to 24. I think the way that could be the case is their best way to play against this team is keep the ball away from the bad offense. Mm-hmm. So they have a good enough running attack to hold the ball away from the bad and whatever they want yeah, to do. Yeah, so you're just talking about limiting possessions. Yeah, limit fewer possessions, run the ball, let the clock go down, and they have a good enough running back to do that. And if you have a new newish quarterback who played a little bit last year but not obviously not the starter now, they may not be as open or willing or wanting to let him take over the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I Nevada's going to win, that's no question. They're going to cover – it's what fifty and a half. Is that the current thing? Same as the Texas. I believe State? so. Yeah. Um, that seems a bit much. I think just because if Kansas State plays how I think they should play to win, Nevada won't have a ton of chances, and Kansas State's offense is fine. It's okay, but I'm gonna go like just take the under for sure. I'm gonna go like fairly comfortable, but not big. But thirty to seventeen for Nevada. All right. So next game, Ball State at Wyoming. It is uh, two p.m. local time. Shoot, I do not have the TV information. Is this a stadium game? That is correct. Okay. I'm looking on ESPN because I have them up, even though I say every week, don't keep that up, the box score. I took a shot in the dark. It's either stadium or Mountain West Network. But they play Ball State defending MAC champions, defending beating San Jose State team. Wyoming is somehow not, sorry, no disrespect for the Cowboys, but they are a strong touchdown favorite over this Ball State team. <clears throat> and Wyoming. Remember, they scored 50 points last week. And Ball State's coming off a, a shellacking, losing to Penn State 44-13. to They've only beat uh, WIU, who's at Western Illinois, I'm going to guess. I'm Western sorry. Illinois, yeah. It's, it's either Western Illinois or Western Indiana. <laughs> so it's the two teams they have out there with the eye. But I thought Ball State would have played better against Penn State, but Penn State is really good this year. 
but when you, what, why we, what I want to see this time, like I want, I don't want them to blow any sort of lead. Like if they come out, they need to control like Drew Platt, to control the running game that Ball State has. I just don't want the defense to, not that they collapse, but when's the last time they give up 40 points in a game? And they also, also won the freaking game, so that's good and bad. Do you know what I mean? Like the defense yeah. can't have a game where, oh, we're comfortable, whatever, and then boom, fast scoring points, and it can happen. Because Ball State, like, I know it's not the same team as last year, but they were really good last year in winning the MAC and beating San Jose State. Yeah, and and I think you know it's hard to know if they're off to a slow start or whether you know the the blowout against the Nittany Lions really obscures you know whatever this team is actually lacking, which is you know you know a, a potential major hindrances that that they didn't necessarily have last year. So like Drew Plitt, for example, he's you know he's been okay through the early going. I think he's completing, what, 62% of his passes. Um, two touchdowns. You know, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But, you know, he's only averaging 5.4 yards per attempt. You know, last year, you know, he was up around 8.5, you know, 8.7 overall yards per attempt. Um, you know, completion rate is slightly down. Uh, you know, two touchdowns against two interceptions. So is that a function of just, like, the quality of competition that he's played so far? Or... You know, has he has he like is something kind of lost in transition, or are they just shit working off rust, for example? Um, you know, I'm I'm sort of inclined to think that it's probably the latter, just because you know the the other guys that they have coming back and uh, coming back on offense are fine. You know, Justin Hall seems like he's you know as good a bet to be an all MAC receiver as ever. You know, he already leads the team with 14 catches in the first two games, 172 okay. yards, pretty two good. touchdowns. Not bad, not bad. Pretty good. You know, Johannes Tyler has been solid. I think maybe if there's one difference that you know Wyoming could potentially seize uh, an advantage upon, the running game's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start. Like their lead running back, Will Jones, is only averaging 4.2 yards per carry. And and given the talent that the Cowboys have up front, you know, it sort of makes me wonder like if they can assert themselves early on, and like if they can, you know, prevent Ball State from being balanced in the same way that they like to be. You know, can they force Plitt into enough mistakes to really kind of put this game out of reach sooner rather than later? You think they can put out of reach like that if they slow down the running attack and force um, them to throw the ball, Drew Plitt? I think if I were looking for a way to take advantage, then yeah, I, I would focus on stopping the run and making Drew Plitt beat me. Even because if I because if I'm Craig Bull, if I'm Jay Sawville, I, I'm thinking that you know the secondary is is probably better than what we saw last week against Northern Illinois. I would hope so. I mean, these guys mm-hmm. probably may possibly complacent for that big, huge lead. Like, oh, we got this. It's not a big deal. And then a couple of plays, like, oh boy, they're within one score here to maybe beat us. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, I think yeah, I think you're right on how that how that could be. I th- I think they're probably wasn't tr- not treated well, but like practice defense is like, what are you guys doing? You guys were had a huge lead. What was it, 40, what, 42 to 12 or something like that? 42 13? Yeah, I think so. And they had that two point conversion at the end, like to get to 50, but no, that can't happen, especially because playing a better team, like Ball State's, again, it's hard to tell. WIU and Penn State, there's a, a mm-hmm. biggest swap of teams you could play in terms of talent, quality, coaching, everything across the board. And so we'll see how it goes. But also, one thing to watch out is uh, you got Garrett Crawl. Very close to Ball State University. He is from the area. So, of course, that means everything, Matt. It's going to be a game where he wants to go after these guys and crush them because he lives within two hours of that team. Yeah. Who cares? That's a fun, silly story, but that doesn't mean anything, right? You know what I mean? 
No. Unless his buddies or friends who are at, who are at the school or in the air is like, oh, I'm going to get your team this weekend. <laughs> One of those things. He does have family. Mm-hmm. So he'll have like 50 friends and family watching, which is pretty cool. So that's, um, or that was a call, but still, same next, next game, Ball State, Indiana, not too far away from that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just kind of, uh, it's a weird antidote to put out there. Oh, he went to high school nearby. He's playing this team, but they're playing at home and blah, blah, blah. So it's always one of those feel good, not to go blah, blah, blah for yada, yada over a good story, but it's like for the game itself, not an issue. So what, but that's my main thing. I want to see one means defense, like, if they if they're given a big lead or two things basically play like the first half versus NIU essentially maybe not the later part of the second quarter where that drive went down to score a TD but don't let them come back don't let them give a lot of points if you have a lead and you're not giving up a lot of points stick it out in the second half and just <clears throat> because complete games are what they need if they're gonna beat Air Force looks pretty good Utah State who's improved Boise State who's gonna who's good if they're gonna want to get those victories they can't play half a football game. And, yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, more to the point, the other reason I would feel optimistic about Wyoming's chances is that the defense has sort of fallen off even more than the offense has looked a little bit uneven for Ball State this, so far this year. Like, even even Western Illinois was able to average six and a half yards per play against these Cardinals. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the, the impact players that Ball State has on that side of the ball haven't been totally impactful just yet. Like, you know, like linebacker Christian Albright, for example, you know, last year he had, uh, you know, six TFLs. You know, so far he only has, I think, 12 tackles total and a, a half a TFL. You know, safety Bryce Crosby only has a couple of TFLs. Um, you know, Chris Aminya, or uh, Agimeng, you know, only half a tackle, and I think like one or two pass breakups or stuff like that. So, you know, the guys that are, like, the major contributors on this side of the ball, just they haven't been able to get the job done consistently yet. And so I think if I'm if I'm Wyoming and I'm looking to, you know, feel good about my chances to repeat last week's offensive performance, even if it's not, like, blowing the doors off of, off of Ball State, I think there's plenty of opportunity to, to, to think that they'll be able to do what they want to do, which is run the ball, you know, play ball control, um, and you know, have a functional passing game in the same way that we've seen over the first couple of weeks from Sean Chambers. Exactly. Everything, yes, 100%. So we got a lot of games. So let's move on here. So what's the – you have the advanced numbers in front of you. What do they particularly say about the seven-point favored Wyoming Cowboys? So uh, FEI does favor the Cowboys as well. Uh, a little slimmer than the betting line, though, only 4.1 in favor of Wyoming. Uh SP plus also likes the Cowboys. They favor them by eight. What's your score projection? Do you have uh, a good one? It's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that Wyoming should be able to hold serve at home. Like, you know, Ball State was a little bit lucky last year in getting to seven and one, you know, and especially you know, with the sort of lackluster defensive performance so far, you know, I think you know, we've seen enough from Wyoming's offense to think that, you know, even despite the struggle against Montana State, you know, they, they were able to get it done against a pretty good FCS defense. And then last week, even despite the collapse, like the offense was able to move the ball pretty consistently for most of the afternoon. Exactly. So I think that I think that's going to be a good game overall. I don't expect Ball State to just roll over in a blowout. Um, but I would take Wyoming to cover. I've got them winning 31 to 21. 31 21. I'm going to go big and think they're going to win. They're going to score 40 points again and win 40, okay. 40 to 24. 
I'm believing. I'm believing this Wyoming offense. I think they're going to start passing. Uh, okay. Xavier Valaday run the ball well. They're going to sling it around. Sean Chambers, what they're doing, um, passing. Not ideal, not amazing yet, but I think it's getting there. Three touchdowns from Chambers so far in the air. So it's like they'll get they'll get a couple of this game. So Trumbley next game. Oh boy. Do we have to talk about Colorado State at Toledo at the Glass Bowl? Is that something we have? We to do. do. It is on ESPNU somehow. I believe that's because Toledo has a victory. And the two and the three PM Eastern time slot or four PM Eastern is kind of a weird, awkward time for games. So, because usually you got the twelve and three thirty, but whatever. <clears throat> it was when it opened at fourteen, and now it's a fourteen and a half. The Rams, Matt, they're bad. Give me this is. No, I'm not going to say that. That's going to be rude for you. But this is a team you had hope in. I'll go that far. What, yeah. What I mean, you're not wrong. You could. I mean, you could be blunt if you'd like to. You picked them six and six. I'll keep bringing that up. Remember. Okay. But but. Beyond that, they – I don't know what they're going to do because they – they okay, they do look a little bit better offensively. They're, I do give them credit. They're like – with Centeno and what Adagio is doing a bit, they're getting their guys involved. They had a two – like, okay, if I could be like him. We're being positive. They did start off good against Vanderbilt, but then they just blew it and couldn't complete the game. They have to learn how to compete and win. And maybe mm-hmm. last week that was a thing versus Vandy where – they blew it and realized, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing these type of things and make changes and need some confidence in this team. Like, we know who the receivers are. We know, we know what Centeno sort of is. I just don't feel confident in a complete game. That 14 now, everybody's like, well, get, take Toledo. They're going to crush them. I don't know if Toledo's going to go out and just beat them by 20 or more points. Uh, you don't? They hung with Notre Dame and they're pretty, they're decent. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't think. Toledo can go out and blow blow Colorado State out of the water by th- by more by thirty, twenty. They could if if Colorado State doesn't get it together, they absolutely could. I, I'm trying to maybe I'm trying to be too nice. I you were just you were just being very mean a minute. I know I was. What am I doing here? I but can Toledo score that many points? We, what we know about them, they beat Norfolk and then they hung around with Notre Dame, who's probably an overrated team. Because they snuck by Florida State in overtime that Monday Night Football game, and so there's that to well, consider. Well, here, so, so here's what I'll say then: like, if if Colorado State is going to survive in this game, what does survive mean? Victory? You it. mean win? They're going to have to survive by finding answers on defense. That's a problem, yeah. Which we thought was their strength, their front seven. So, yeah, because you know, and, and again, we you know, Toledo sort of has the same problem as as Ball State, where. You know, is is the production through two games a function of the of the quality of competition, or like how much of it is for real? But you know, the one thing that Toledo had coming with them coming into the year was they had a ton of experience coming back. And you know, even though you know, the game against the Irish was definitely like a, a slugfest, you know, the rushing offense like they didn't fall off a cliff on a per carry basis. Like even you know before adjusting for sacks, you know, they still averaged 4.26 yards per play. You know, Brian Kobach, the, the leading rusher, like he's averaging over five yards a carry, five, you know, 5.8 to be exact. I would mention, not that it's, it matters, but two-thirds of their yards come on two carries in that game. Mm-hmm. So it's – Yeah, so it's so again, so you're, to, to your point then, they have big play capability there on the go. ground. <laughs> That's a problem for – Which, which again, you know, you might – you know, Colorado State fans might remember the last time they played Toledo. Yeah. And then I think, if I remember correctly, the Rockets dropped 50 on them in that game. Was that in the bowl game? 
Uh, no, no, that was in Fort Collins a couple of years ago. Oh, I try to recall what it was. Oh, it wasn't obviously not last year. Uh, what and, thing... and and Carter Bradley when like when he's been on the field, I think he got knocked around a little bit in the, in the Notre Dame game, if I'm not mistaken. But you know when he's been on the field, you know he saw playing time late last year and he's looked pretty good in the early going. You know he's got a 64% completion rate. He's averaging over 10 yards per catch. So you know between him, Kobach, you know a, a legion of, of of veteran receivers. You know Devin Maddox has 226 yards. He's averaging 20 yards a catch. So far, um, if Colorado State plays on defense the same way that they played against South Dakota State and Vanderbilt, then yeah, they, they you know, Toledo can absolutely beat this Rams team the same way that the Jackrabbits did in particular. Um, hope not for Rams fans' sakes, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you hope, um, but you know, I, I think conversely. You know, Colorado State, I would say, has looked good enough on offense that, you know, even despite the fact that, you know, things look relatively dire on its face, you know, you say Colorado State's a bad team, but, like, relative to some of the bad, bad teams we saw last year, Colorado State's a little bit better than that. Like, you know, yeah, they've been below average on a per-play basis within, you know, the first couple weeks, but they're still averaging, you know, I think, you know, what is it, 5.6 yards per play? It's not great, but it's also not like super abysmal. Like you know, by comparison, UNLV is averaging 4.2 yards per play, and they're sure. dead last mm-hmm. in, the, in the Mountain West right now. You know, Centeno has looked good when he's you know when he hasn't been prone to mistakes, and and I would say you know over the course of eight quarters, he's been he's been decent or better in maybe five or six of them so far. Um, you know, we know Trey McBride when he gets open, like he can, you know, fight for yards after catch and, and, and make plays. You know, we know Dante Wright can still get open. Um, so, you know, if they can give him a little bit of protection, uh, Centeno, Colorado State's, or not Colorado State, Toledo's got some guys who could do some damage in their front seven, primarily Terrence Taylor, who off to a very strong start, you know, you would say in the, in the early season, he's got five tackles for loss and two and a half, or two sacks in the early going. You know, if it can slow him down in particular, I would say that Colorado State, if they can look more like they did in the first half against Vanderbilt last week, and, and like they did in the very early going against South Dakota State in the opener, then they've got a chance to hang around. Like I, I think, you know, Toledo's got a, they've got a, 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 an average to maybe above average defense, but Colorado yeah. State, when it has looked like it, that they're at their best, they can compete against that kind of defense. I guess that's what I'm saying overall. Okay, want to hear some bad news about the Rams this week? Some more bad news? Injuries? Yeah, and yeah. So Dante Wright may not play. I I knew. Yeah. He, I knew there's. I saw something last week or after the game or during the game that some injury. But I couldn't find it, so I didn't bring it up. I, I thought I thought it was him. I kept searching, googling, looking at tweets and stuff. Didn't really see too much of anything. But I haven't practiced. Um, recording this Wednesday. And that's also the final day of media availability for the Rams. So they probably will know. Well, Coach Adagio says on the Thursday, um, if him out, you have um, safety uh, Tywin Francis sidelined. I haven't practiced yet. And and uh, they also have a couple of players suspended for targeting last week too. Yeah, like Logan Stewart and uh, Tavion Brown will miss the first half since they got the penalty in the second half. So there's that. Does not help. But Francis leading the team in tackles with 20. And Stewart yeah. has six. Um, what TFL or two for loss? Sorry. Um, and he missed, he didn't play the first game due to an injury. So it's like some of their better players, like, right. If he doesn't play, there's zero chance they win. Cause they've done a pretty good job of getting him the ball and doing things. It's just, 
a lot of other circumstances to why they haven't been playing well. Or so if they're I mean, out, I think if he, if he doesn't play, I think it's way more likely that they try and turtle up and just give David Bailey as many carries as they can. But that's not going to lead them to victory. I'm not watching that garbage. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's the game plan I would choose, but I would say that it's probably the game plan that that Adazio and, and and John Budmeyer would choose. So if they do that and play keep away, what's their chance of winning versus Toledo? I don't know. Would you say one in five? <laughs> no, maybe one in seven. I like there because because Bailey Bailey's looked stronger from week to week, and yeah. so you know that's why I say it's not maybe the the, the worst plan out there. No, it's um, not. I just don't like watching that type of football. I want to do a little bit. No, I get what you're saying. <laughs> so, what do we got here? We've been, we were, dude, we're at 45 minutes. We've talked like about four games. <laughs> we need to hustle. Well, we're, we're giving the we're giving the people what they want, but so I can give you some projections if you like. Let's do it because I'm just go for it. Wipe, wipe. Think about if I'm going to change my thought as I'm typing it down here. Okay, so um, FEI does favor Toledo. Uh, they favor the Rockets by 10.6. SP Plus, I believe, also favors Toledo by a touch more. They favor them by 13.9. 13.9. That's basically the line at 14 and a half. Opened at 14, only moved a tiny bit. What's your what do you say? They're gonna cover Toledo? They're gonna get no. the points? No? No. You you like the Rams enough. I mean be confident in your pick here. No, I mean, I, mean I don't. I don't think the Rams are going to win the game. I guess Obviously, <laughs> I'm going to put that I'd out like there right now. I just, I just don't see them containing this Rockets offense for 60 minutes because we haven't really seen much of anything in the first two weeks to suggest that they would. Um, you know, Toledo, I would say, offensively is maybe on par with South Dakota State. Um, so I, I'm going to say the Rockets win. I'm going to say 38 to 23. So they do cover. 38 to 15. Wouldn't that be a push? That's 14, 14 and a half. Oh, that's right. You can't push in half a point there, buddy. Okay, that's fair. Okay. I thought it was 14 and a half. No, so, no 15, it is 14. It is 14 and a half. And you said 15. 15. I thought that was 15. Oh, no. Open to 14. Um, four, 40 to 13 Toledo. They're going to run away. Ooh, okay. Maybe because if Dante – okay. I don't want to give two scores, but if Dante Wright doesn't play, they're, 13 might be too much. But, okay. Um, if he does play – they might cover, but they're gonna. It's gonna take the under, and Toledo's gonna win big. Next game, CBS Sports Network. Obviously, the home. We're talking the Aztecs because they're always on CBS Sports Network. This this is true. However, it's not a night game. How do how do they swing that? How do they get the four p.m. local kick? Big game, blackout game. Blackout in Carson game, hosting my University of Utah Utes, who are coming off a. Uh, Somber lost to their rival after nine straight victories. <laughs> okay, so let's let's break that down in terms of what you think. Having, I'm assuming you watched that game. I did watch that game. Yes. If you had to pick out one thing that San Diego State could take advantage of that BYU was able to take advantage of, what is it? Like, what basically, what's the one big thing that went wrong for Utah that San Diego State could capitalize on? Um, it's the same thing. I always freak out about Utah. They don't have a freaking quarterback. Charlie really I don't want to say he's trash but it's like outside of Tyler Huntley two years ago they haven't had a good quarterback since Brian Johnson was there when they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl they literally have no good receivers they have a pretty good tight end in Brent Keithy but that's about like everybody loves Brent Covey but no he made first team preseason all pack 12 for some asinine reason I have no clue why 
He's not. He's he's wants to be like a good kick returner. He does fine. Like runs back and forth. Like kind of evade people. He had a thirty-five yard returner, but I would say the one like the one thing, just stop the quarterback play. It's like. If you want to put in terms everybody understands, like if you like you're if you're an Aztec fan, you're basically looking in the mirror, folks. Really good running game, like Utah's Micah Bernard, who touched down average twelve yards a play. They have a quarterback that's should be much better. Well, and at least what I've seen, just okay. Fifteen to twenty six, one forty seven to pick an interception and a touchdown. Not entirely inspiring to beat a team. So it's kind of the same type of team. But what BYU did, like BYU passed the ball very well. Here's where I think it could be coming to play because Jordan Brookshire may not play this weekend. I don't. That is true. I don't think that push that doesn't change my opinion too much in what could happen. But let's just say it's Lucas Johnson, and everybody knows how much of, I'm a fan of him. He didn't win the job despite him leading through spring and part of fall. The one thing that beat Utah couldn't do. There's. I'll give it the other actual more other point. But Jaron Hall had eight rushes, 92 yards. Technically had another huge run, but stepped out of bounds. It would have been like an extra sixty yards. So he mm-hmm. honestly could have had one hundred fifty yards if he didn't tiptoe down the sideline. Like it was questionable, but that play was like untouched for a huge, huge gain. So mobile quarterback Lucas Johnson proved to be in that Nevada game. So that's the thing. If he does play and he's doing that, that could hurt Utah. But also, like it's Utah's offense. They the defense got gassed. Like. There were so many three and outs on offense they couldn't move the ball despite having a running back Bernard with 142 yards. They the score six twenty six seventeen wasn't that close. BYU pushed him around. Just made most. It's mostly like we talked about. Um, who was it last week? Had all the three and outs. Not Colorado State, but um, UNLV. Yeah, UNLV. It's not to that extreme, but kind of close where the defense just wasn't getting enough rest. So it looked like they're pushed around. But the defense is really good. However, if you if your offense goes three plays here, four plays here, six plays here, you're going to get tired and get beat up. So that's kind of what would be the case. And with Greg Bell, Aztecs could do that. They could just keep holding the ball and running and pushing and going downfield. So I'd say mobile mobile quarterback play and that in the secondary, I guess, is in running 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 game for San Diego State are the reasons they can win. And it's nine points right now. That's way too high, man. That's a lot of points. It opened up at seven. I don't know how it kept going for Utah up more. Now, see, to me, the one big thing that I'm very interested to see, like, which team can get the upper hand, is the fact that the Utes have really struggled on third downs so far this year. Like, you, <laughs> yes, you, you alluded yes, to yes, it yes. with all the three and outs. You know, through two games, they're only four of 17 on third downs. And one of those games you was know, versus FCS Weber State. Yeah, and so, you know, for those of you who aren't math majors out there, it's 23.5%. It's not good. Um, which, among Pac-12 teams, only Arizona is worse um, and and they they can thank San Diego State for part of that at least because um, the Aztecs are number one in the Mountain West in opponents third down conversion rate. Um, they've only allowed eight of thirty four on defense, mm. and so you know I I wonder if you know if if you feel like the you know the if the Utes have at least an adequate offensive line. Would you say that? Oh yeah yeah it's it's I'd say above average yeah. So, you know, if, if they're above of average, like, is that still going to be good enough to keep the likes of Sean Banks and, and Cameron Thomas from having another field day? At times. Like they did against Arizona. I'd say it's more than above average because look at the running game, 142 yards. And BOE's front seven is pretty solid for what they can bring. Yeah. But Greg but Bell's also, but I, better I than I would also Mark. say that the, the Aztecs have looked like the, the, they haven't really skipped a beat on defense so far this year. Like, they did have the slow start against New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. 
but you know they basically put together uh, you know six quarters at least of of well of above average defense, and so I I just wonder like you know even if the quarterback play is a little bit more uncertain with with Brookshire status being so up in the air, whether the defensive performance could be enough in itself to win a lot you know the same kind of mm-hmm. you know ugly rock fight that we've seen the Aztecs win a handful of times in years past. That's why I think the, the game's going to turn out to be because. Charlie Brewer, is, you don't have the guys you had at Baylor, you know what I mean, when they went to the Sugar Bowl. Like, you don't have mm-hmm. that talent. Like, hopefully – also, there's fumble issues at the running game as well. Like, there's been a lot of concerns about – like, who, who was it? Um, had two fumbles in the game. Coach Woody Ham's like, oh, he's fine. We'll get him out there. But you can get benched. Like, Tavion Thomas had two fumbles, which obviously means – or leads to the assumption he only had seven carries because he fumbled twice. So, mm-hmm. if he doesn't fumble and they give him a chance, they have two solid running backs. But – it's these again. These teams look like each other, but Brewer has nobody to throw the ball to. He doesn't have the te- Baylor when whoever was the head coach. I forget Matt Rule was there slinging it around. That's not what he has now here at Utah. Brent Keithy is a really good tight end, but you're not going to win with your main receiver being a tight end. So, like, it's only 44 points, and that might be way too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think honestly, I think I think that what it come, could could come down to, in addition to kind of the third downs, linebacker play. I think is going to go a long way to, toward determining who's in this game because both teams have awesome linebackers. Mm, yes. Um, so you know, you mentioned the fact that they both have strong running games. Well, you know, on, on one hand, Utah has you know Nephi Sewell and Devin Lloyd. You know, Lloyd. You know, top hundred pick. He's still being easy. talked about as a first round draft pick, right? Okay, yeah, top hundred pick at worst. Yeah. So you know, between those two guys, and then of course you have Cade McDonald, Andrew Alecki, you know, Sagan Olubi. Mm-hmm. Uh, for San Diego State, all of those guys have balled out so far in the early going. So, you know, Greg Bell, I think, is definitely going to be a focal point in the same way that he was in the first two games for for the Aztecs. You know, the the, the big question is, are they going to allow him the same kind of, of, of ability to run wild that he saw against both Arizona and New Mexico State? I think that is probably not as much of a given this time around. So what does the advanced number say? So, uh, with that in mind, FEI does favor Utah. Uh, not by much, though. They only favor the Utes by 3.3, so basically a field goal favorite. Um, let's see. I might have to go over to the other image for SP+. Plus. Uh, they, favor, they favor the Utes by a little more with SP+, plus, 11.4. What? Yeah. That's a lot. So they'd like Utah to cover. I, mm, it's seven when it opened. It's nine right now. I don't know why it changed to nine, but I'll just give my final score. It's going to be 20 to 13 Utah. It's, or, well, actually, I can't because I have my original pickup seven. Um, I'll go 20 to 14 Utah. It's going to be, like you said, a rock fight, good running the game, poor quarterback play. Yeah, that's how I think it's going to pl- come. Pl- linebackers will slow the running game down. They'll be just enough, but. Twenty to fourteen, Utah. It's not. It's not going to be pretty. I kind of like the Aztecs in this one. Ooh. We have at the moment split fifty fifty. We have currently eight people, three, four, five, or excuse me, six. Well, whatever. Three picking San Diego State outright to win. Are you going to make it the fourth? I think I will because oh, I think you know. If anything, you're, you're not know, wrong. I'm not. That... It's possible. Clearly, you know the other thing that I think you know San Diego State could have to their advantage is you know, they've still shown the same kind of propensity to create turnovers. And, you know, in the first couple of games, 
Utah State, or excuse me, Utah is minus two overall. You know, they have four giveaways through two games so far. And if the if the game devolves into a rock fight, then it could become a matter of, you know, who maximizes the opportunities that they get. You know, does Matariza connect on a 40-yard field goal that ends up making the difference? And even if they don't, you know, we didn't even mention that Ariza is still leading the, the nation in, in net punting, or, or in the hit top handful of, of punters in terms of net punting, yeah. in terms of raw punting average, number one in the country. You know, he's balled out, so he can definitely make it a, a, a game of field position if they want to play it that way. I'm going to go even lower scoring Whoa. though. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say 17 to 14. San Diego State wins. That takes one by three. I would not be shocked if they win. Because turnovers is a big reason. Like, oh, they always get turnovers versus BYU, and they got, as you mentioned, they're minus, what, two on the year? Not very good. Yeah. All right, next game. They're just, it's like fighting in a phone booth. I can't wait to watch. Yeah, it's going to be – check it out. Four, four Pacific, CBS Sports Network. All right, next game, 5.30 p.m. local, 4.30 Pacific, FS2. How does this – like, you want to talk about disrespect, FS2 undefeated teams, FS2. More people can get ESPN Plus than FS2, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> I would imagine so, yeah. <laughs> because you can just pay for it, you get it. <laughs> Air Force is favored by eight. Over-under is a pretty good 54. The best thing about this game is a tweet Air Force puts out there of last year's score. What was it, 35 to 7? Yeah, there's, a, there's already a little bit of jawing going on, I think, in the, in the replies to that one. Is that going to bite them in the butt? We'll get to that later, but that's a pretty bold tweet just put out there. I mean that is true because this is this is not last year's Utah State team. I think that much is evident. Totally. But I think it makes for a really fascinating matchup just because you know the Aggies do look like they're much improved, but it's not like you know both teams don't have questions that still need answering a little bit. So like for example, I don't I don't know which side of the ball you want to start on, and but the, you know the first thing I thought of was, you know we've seen Air Force look competent on offense, you know, against both Lafayette and, and Navy, but they haven't exactly like been terribly explosive to this point. Like on a per, on a per play basis, they're only averaging basically four and a half yards per play. You know, even last year when you know, in the short season, they were, you know, third in the conference at, at 6.3. So overall play by play production has gone way down and it hasn't made much of a difference because the Falcons defense has been so awesome. We're going to talk more about them in a minute, but you know, I, I sort of see this, um, you know, this I guess mostly stoppable force so far against the Utah State defense. That yeah, they've they've made big plays when it counted. You know, Justin Rice had a couple of interceptions last week, um, but you know, again on a per play basis, they're also you know third from the bottom in terms of yards per play allowed. You know, they're they've allowed six point one yards per play, and so. You know, I go back to our, our conversation during last week's recap about, you know, how much are we going to see, you know, Hazik Daniels be able to throw the ball down the field consistently, at least a little more often. We haven't seen it yet. Could we see it against against Utah State? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. But if we do, then that's one of those things that the game is likely to hinge upon. Uh, if we don't, then you know, the way that Utah State has looked on on offense. You know, if if Air Force is is stuck trying to run the football and be efficient and make it a possession game, I don't know if that's the ideal way to win against this year's Utah State team. You don't think so? I don't know because because they've looked much improved on offense themselves. That's true because with Logan Bonner there, they've been moving the ball pretty well and Peasley getting a couple of carries here, there a couple of snaps. Exactly. But that's the thing. I like 
I get what they're doing. Like Devin Tomp Devin Tomp Tompkins, excuse me, looks really good. This Air Force defense is really, really good as well. And it's gonna be the this Air Force defense is better than Washington State. Obviously better than North Dakota. So this will be the Aggies' biggest test so far of like can they get their guys the ball? Like again, the running game is kind of what we want to look at as well for Utah State too, because we know seemingly they can pass pretty well, which they've done. Like Tompkins clearly been one of the best receivers in the conference so far, but <clears throat> Calvin Tyler Jr. Jr. Excuse me, doing pretty fine, but that's about like John Gentry. Gentry is fine, but the running game's been five yards a carry, just pretty good. I think they're going to need that to balance it out because Air Force, like the linebacking group we mentioned last week, all those guys are up there making plays. They're going to have to mix yeah. in, play action, go down the field, do different things. Like Logan Bonner's a solid 66% on the year, 10 yards an attempt or pass. They're, uh, the Aggies offense is good. It moves around. They're just going to make sure to kind of continue to do that, but I think they might need a little bit more of the running game. But because Tom, they have multiple receivers too, so we don't want to get to that. Like Tompkins has 16 catches. Brandon Bowling has seven catches, over 100 yards. Derek Wright has over 100 yards, eight catches. They have different guys. All these guys averaging over 10 yards per play. Those are top three, and even Justin McGriff, six catches in two games. That's pretty good. They have enough guys out there, but it's clearly Tompkins. They're going to need to find like Wright, who has a couple touchdowns already this year. But they're going to be able to pass it, but I think their running game has to be a touch better than it has been. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing that is sort of like a – it's maybe a little bit of a big unknown. You know, Air Force has eight sacks in two games – and, and I'm sure if, if I had access to like their sack rate, it would probably be through the roof just because you know Navy in particular just does not throw the ball anymore yeah, than they is they absolutely had, like, necessary. Five catch, five pass attempts, I think it was last week. Very few, so it has to be up there. But you know how how much of that havoc is going to translate against a Utah State passing game, which is pretty clearly the best one that the Falcons will have seen to this point in the season, because like. You know, the, the, you know, they're balling up front in terms of, like, you know, creating disruption, getting into the backfield. You mentioned, you know, they I think they have 15 tackles for loss in the first two games. You know, DeMonte Meeks is leading the way there. Uh, you know, TJ, or TD Blackman, you know, guys like that in the front. Like, they have a lot of guys contributing in the front seven. But what we don't know is how that secondary is going to hold up against a Utah State offense that could very easily decide to spread them out and just, you know, see how well Air Force holds up. So, you know, I look at, you know, guys like Trey Bugs, Zion Kelly. Those guys in particular, I think, are going to be the real keys to this game because, you know, you mentioned Tompkins gotten off to a hot start. You know, they're sort of developing into the kind of offense where you can't necessarily focus on one guy, though, because, mm -hmm. you know, Justin McGriff has had his moments. Derek Wright has had his moments. And it's it's a it's a diverse offense in the way that you know we didn't see last year, and and that is something that Air Force is going to have to contend with, which they haven't to this point. And so how well they do that is another one of those X factors where we don't really know what the answer is going to be, but I suspect it's going to be a very big deal in the outcome. Well, it's going to have to be the way they again go going against all those guys. But one yeah. thing, let's go to the Air Force's offense really quick before we move on. Like their rushing attack hasn't been a lead to this year. They're only just over four, again, and under their standards, and that's fair or not, but they typically are that team that runs five plus, six plus yards per carry. They're not like they're not leading the nation in all these type of particular plays and rushing, which is somehow Auburn's almost 10 yards per carry. But like they're top, what, 50, barely going like four and a half yards per play. That's, yeah. that's not where they want to be. 4.3, actually. So they're even lower than I suspected. They're probably 
bottom half, but he's, you know what I mean? Like 4.3 puts him at six, um, six tied with Penn State, like 68th right here. Not very good compared to like if you go a couple years ago, they're typically at top 10 or something. They're usually way up there, pretty high, over five yards a carry, 5.1, <clears> That doesn't seem like a lot, but half a yard, you know what I mean, can add, add up, you know what I mean? Here's the thing. Utah State's rushing better per per play than Air Force is. So Air Force needs to figure out with Brad Hop with uh, Brad Roberts, if it's Zeke Daniels. Those are two guys that actually need a third guy to step up, which we don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. Micah Davis has two rushing touchdowns, but he only carries the ball eight times. Like Omar, the tight end, like not tight end, fullback. Omar, fullback should be a better position in this game. Omar Fata has six carries. They need the third. Yeah, and I think it's that they don't have. And I think to, you know to your point, you know the the defense has been improved in a lot of ways, and one of those ways is just you know. I mean, being a lot more disruptive themselves, you know, like Air Force, you know, they have 15 tackles for loss through the first couple of games as well. Like Air Force, it's been definitely a team effort where, you know, Jalen Bannerman had the one big game. You know, he's leading the team with three and a half TFLs so far. Patrick Joyner, you know, for, at the defensive end position has two. Justin Rice at linebacker has two. You know, Hale Motuapuaka has, a, you know, a tackle and a half. They've got guys contributing from just about everywhere in that front seven, and that has been a tremendous deal for them um, in terms of like you know the, the improvement that they've shown, especially after getting punched in the mouth early last week against North Dakota. So if they come out firing on all cylinders in the same way that they closed last week, that's going to really put the squeeze on the Falcons because if they haven't been as effective as they've been in years past running the football, and if we don't know whether they're going to be able to connect on those 50-50 passes – you know, now all of a sudden you're seeing more avenues for Utah State to be able to kind of get in, you know get an early lead and maybe just keep Air Force at arm's length. I don't know, man. I, it's an eight Air, Air Force favored by eight, which seems like a lot from what we've seen from Utah State so far. Because mm-hmm. remember, Air Force that offense wasn't great until the second half versus Navy. Defense we know is there. Offense is eh, we'll see. I mean, it's been okay, but I'm gonna make my pick here. I say that it's going to be – I think Air Force is going to win, but Utah State's going to cover. It's going to be like, like what, what, 54 points or something? I think Air Force can get to 30, but it'll be like 30 to 23. Like Utah State will be in this game the whole way, but I think there's going to be a, just a touchdown behind. So FEI favors Air Force by 16, oh, boy. which is a lot more than I would have expected. <laughs> no kidding. Um, wow. SP Plus also favors the Falcons, but they favor them by only 7.5. Okay. Personally, I'm I'm kind of buying Utah State a little bit. Oh, okay. I think I, I I'm not totally sold on Air Force's offense being able to hold up its end of the bargain against a, a, a team like Utah State that is looking more complete on both sides of the ball. And so, I think it's going to be a competitive game. But I see Utah State sort of pulling away late. So, what would you say the spread on this one was? Um, eight and a half. I'm gonna take Utah State to cover that. Okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, 28 to 17 for Air Force for in favor of Utah State. Oh yeah, Utah State winning. Yeah. Oh well, they they cover regardless if they're winning. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I thought I'm like, wait a minute, you're saying something else. I'm I like, threw you off, didn't I? Yeah, they're like, why do you care about the line? Oh, what's this line when they're gonna win regardless? Okay, then sorry, you did. I'm like, okay, next game, Oklahoma State, Boise State. It is a FS1, six six Pacific, seven local. 
how surprised are you that the Broncos came out as a favorite in this game? Like they're three and a half now, but it's like started off at about four and a half. I mean, I'm I'm not totally surprised. And and I think that for a couple of reasons. Like, you know, one, Boise State looked pretty sharp last week. Like they didn't answer all their questions, but they did exactly what they needed to against a team like UTEP that, you know, had, had built a little bit of success for itself. But, you know, Boise State reminded them that there's still a ways to go. And and by contrast, Oklahoma State's been okay through its first couple of games. Yeah, the Tulsa victor was close. So, you know, it's it's sort of a, a team that is really kind of sorting some things out, like on a per-play basis on offense in particular. They aren't at the same level that they were a year ago, and I wonder if they're sort of feeling the effects of you know, having lost so much NFL talent. You know, like Chava Hubbard's gone. You know, uh, Tywan uh, Tywan Jenkins is gone. Tylen Wallace is gone. And, you know, in their absence, Spencer Sanders is only, you know, completing 57% of his passes. You know, he's not even the guy with the most pass attempts on the team right now. Shane Illingworth, a sophomore quarterback, you know, he's completed 55% of his passes. So, you know, through the air, they haven't been quite as effective. You know, Hubbard's replacement on the ground hasn't been quite as effective on a per-play basis. Like, Spencer Sanders is the team's leading rusher. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And he only has 62 yards on 10 carries. It's been L.D. Um, Brown and Jalen Warner, the former Aggie there, and they're both averaging 2.3 yards per play. Not great. No. And so, so, if I'm, so if I'm Boise State and I'm looking at this game, you know, I see that they, they, they clawed their way to a win against Southwest Missouri. <laughs> and then they clawed their way to another win against Tulsa. Like, Oklahoma State is not without talent, but you know they're they're missing those NFL guys from last year. They're also missing Trace Ford, who was announced to, you know recently that he's out for the year with 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 injury. So they're not this maybe the same caliber of team that they were last year. And if I'm Boise State, I'm thinking to myself, okay, now we're going to prove something else. Like now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna beat a team that's you know pretty good, but you know we're gonna put them in their place. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I think what Boise State's doing, because, again, what I want to see from them is the running game of George Chalani, if they're going to run the ball well. That's obviously what we want to see. You know what I mean? I'm looking at their side. <clears throat> but, yeah, defense, I think they could slow them all down, like you said. Like, quarterback split, it's running game okay. Boise's defense is good enough. And hopefully they get – they've had some injuries that hopefully they're coming back. But, like, Coach Gundy over there is like, oh, this is a top 25 team. They're really, really good. I'm like, um, they're close. I don't know if they're – and, again, anywhere from, like – 18 to 50 are basically the same team almost in college football, if you want to be mm-hmm. real. Not too much difference. So, But they're fairly even, but with the, with the not sooner, sorry, the Cowboys, questionable running game, quarterback play, meh, not great. But what Boise wants to do, like if the, the receivers are okay, like they have a handful of guys that are fine. But like from the Boise's, like Van, not Van, well, I guess it include Van Buren. They have to, he's out there. But like, I want to see what George Shalani can do. You know what I mean? Like, they offense showed up, but you're beating freaking UTEP. They're not, they're better, like you said, but not good. But like, as we mentioned, he didn't have many carries. Is going to be Tyler Crow in this game? Like, I want to see a consistent running game and a good running game. Like, maybe Halani was held back, like we speculated when he didn't play game one, five carries, game two. Maybe he'll get 10 or 12. But we know what Hank Barr will do. And I think, or <laughs> I think I combined his name together. It's Hank Bachmeyer, not whatever I said. We know what he can do clearly. My thing for their offense is can they run the ball well and consistent? Like, I don't. Honestly, I don't care if it's three or four guys, Solani, Tyler, Crow, whoever, anybody out there, Van Buren. 
I, they need one guy to kind of step up a little bit because I don't them doing seven, six, four carries, four carries between the four guys isn't. I don't think it's really going to cut it. So you need one guy to step well, that, up. That, well, that's the rub too. Is that you know you want to see more from Halani, but Oklahoma State's got a pretty good defense still. Yeah. Um, and and you know one thing that stands out from their first two games is like yeah the offense scuffled, but they shut down running games so far. You know, between you know Southwest Missouri and Tulsa, you know they've given up fewer than three yards per play on the ground, um, and even through the air, like opponents really haven't had that much more success. You know they're only completing you know fifty point nine percent of their passes. You know Tulsa, what you know they were they had a little more success, I guess you could say, because they were they averaged over eight yards in attempt, yeah. but they weren't able to get into the end zone. So they were very, you know a very bend but don't break kind of defense against the uh, against the Golden Hurricane. And they've got guys up front who can disrupt. You know, they're they're averaging seven and a half tackles for loss per game. They're still you know middle of the pack or slightly above it in terms of opponents' third down percentage. So you know the talent up front, I think, is going to dictate a lot of what Boise State is going to try to do. So like if if Hawani gets slowed and everybody else in that backfield gets bottled up, Uh-oh. then then are you facing the same kind of situation that you did against UCF, where you're trying to put you know more on Hank Bachmeyer's shoulders than you want to? It's it's sort of Dicey's proposition, you know, because if if they can't stop the Oklahoma State defense from from making them one dimensional. You know, guys like Malcolm Rodriguez, guys like you know Israel Antoine, Tyler Lacey, those guys up front can do a lot of damage, and and do and do a lot to kind of you know tilt the game away from Boise State's favor. No, you're you're correct on that. Uh, but the game overall, like trying to figure out a few areas where like, we've mentioned areas that could be better or not for these teams, like who's going to take advantage. I'll go back. I'll wrap up here with that. But I think it's going to be like you mentioned. The if the running game is bottled up, Bachmeyer can throw. But I think they're going to have to. They can't give up if that's the case. Like if they, which could be counterintuitive what I just said before. That I want one guy to step up. But what could be good if they had to play all those guys played versus UTEP. If they need four guys out there, not that they're all styles different running, but they're just a different player person holding the ball, running the ball, different guy out there. That could mm-hmm. help maybe against what Oklahoma State's doing. Like, oh, this guy does this a little bit different. They have to prepare a touch more because they saw so many guys run the ball while they're good at stopping the ball that way. So maybe in this case, you still want your lead guy, but if if it's not going, they can go, okay, you're up, number two. Okay, you're up. Try something a little bit different. That could, you know, I'm getting at The player's just different enough where the Cowboys aren't focusing on certain things trying to do the style of play they do. And it, it's also mm-hmm. fresh legs too. If they're going that deep – and they end up do going like everybody gets seven carries. You know what I mean? Six to five to seven carries that could wear them down. It's having the fresh legs out there, but I still want to have one guy out there, but I think the passing game is going to be able to get it done. Like they've only had, what is, um, interception wise. They have just, um, what they have no interceptions on the air. Oklahoma state zero. Hmm, could just be the game to get it. Maybe. But I'm leaning clearly toward Boise State winning this game after kind of what you discussed and going through before. I just don't think Oklahoma State has enough to get it done. Like, maybe they stop the running game, but I trust Bachmeyer more than the running game as it is, even though in the past we've kind of mentioned if the running game slows down, Boise really struggles. We'll see this year. It's a new year. It's not last year. So uh, the projections definitely see a close game between these two teams. Um, Both FEI and SB Plus favor the Broncos, which is perhaps good news. 
Um, maybe slightly less good news is that the only favor FBI only favors them by 1.4, hmm. and uh, SP Plus only favors the Broncos by. I just saw it a moment ago, and uh, 2.1. Excuse me. So what do you got? What's your projection or prediction? I think Boise State's gonna win. Okay. But I think it's I think it's gonna be a pretty ugly win. <laughs> Okay, I don't think they care this because point. because I th- because I think that I think that Oklahoma State's going to be able to bog down the Boise State offense. Like, you know, if if Helani is limited, or even if he's not limited, I think you know that Oklahoma State has a lot enough talent up front to you know turn this into the kind of game where you know if they want to win through the air, you know, Khalil Shakir could probably do it for a little while, but you know how much help is he going to get? Um, but you know he might be the one guy that makes a play that makes the difference in the game. So you tell me. <laughs> um, but I also don't think that, like, you know, even with Sanders back under center, like, he, he apparently he missed the opener because he was in COVID protocols. Yeah. He was back against Tulsa. He wasn't great. He's a very up-and-down kind of guy. And, you know, with you know even with him, the running game isn't great, which seems to bode well for Boise State up front. So I think the Broncos are going to win. I don't think it's going to be a very pretty game. I'm going to say they win 28-27. to 27. So win but not cover. Yeah. I think it'll be close like two because it's close like that as well. I because it's what fifty five and a half as well as that what the points are at the total. So I believe so. You're yeah. right on target with that fifty seven and a half. Um, I'll go a touch higher. I think it'll be thirty to twenty three. Boise State. All right then. A little bit closer, but all right. Iowa State UNLV. Oh, whew. CBS Sports Network. Uh, seven thirty Pacific at Allegiant Stadium. So we got all those fights coming in from Iowa State, who is coming off a. Not their best performance against Iowa, who's a really good team. They lost 27-17, but do we just need to say uh, Iowa State by 40 and move on? <laughs> no. And, 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 and I say that rude, because the, the Cyclones have been sort of shaky even outside of the Iowa game. You and I, 16-10, that's it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and I think a lot of that comes down to you know you know the offense has been very hit or miss in the early going, you know Brock Purdy I believe threw what he threw three interceptions last week against the Hawkeyes. Not good. And and Matt Campbell the head coach came out earlier in the week and said that you know getting benched in that game very briefly for the backup wasn't a reflection on him it was more a reflection of the, of the greater offensive struggles. Uh, you know, so for example, you look at Brees Hall, who was considered kind of a, a dark horse, you know, maybe potential Heisman candidate, and he's gotten off to a very, very, very slow start. You know, Thirty-nine carries, one hundred and thirty-eight yards, two touchdowns, yeah. only three, three and a half yards per carry, which I believe, if I remember correctly, is almost ha- half of what it was in twenty twenty, when he led the Big Twelve in rushing yardage. So, you know, he hasn't gotten off to quite the same start. You know, Brock Purdy's been a little shaky here and there. They haven't been as explosive. And and obviously UNLV is not the same caliber of defense as Iowa. No. But no. we've seen <laughs> enough to suggest that, like, you know, their their top guys can make plays and create headaches. And I think, you know, if there's going to be any kind of upset bid, it's going to fall on those top-level guys. So it's going to be, like, Jacoby Winman getting in the backfield for a sack on third down to force a punt. Or it's going to be... Adam Plant forcing a fumble, or, or Noel Williams picking off the pass. I just don't know if they have enough depth to keep that up over the course of four quarters. But if they do, I think it's going to be because it's going to be because their top playmakers make plays. 
there's no chance you you will be has in this game. I'm sorry. Um, the chance. No, I mean, I'm just try- I'm trying to be charitable. Here's what to be charitable. Iowa State's offense not performing all that well, because here's the thing: UNLV last week, UNLV, like they the second half, the defense. I'm not gonna blame too much on them because they had we. I think we caught you. We added it up or whatever. It's like not even 20 yards in second half of offense. Mm-hmm. All those three and out. So the defense played well in the first half last week. It was they were down only 14 to 10. So defense has players like Jacoby Woodman, Woodman, every other guys back there, but. It's not going to hold up the whole game, but if if the, if the way Iowa State's offense is playing, the way UNLV's defense has played a bit throughout the year, spurts, there's a reason to believe this could be a close game, similar to the Arizona State game, close early, but then eventually I mean, breaks through. That's why I kind of yes, but the but the bigger problem for UNLV is the same problem they had last week. Um, you know, and, and before we even talk about Doug Brumfeld's availability, where day-to-day. He, he's day to day as well, we don't know if he's going to play. But we also haven't seen anything from Justin Rogers that would suggest that he's going to be able to move the offense if Brumfield can't go. Um, and, and Iowa State, for, for all the offensive struggles, the defense is, is more or less intact from 2020, and they played pretty well in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, they've got you know Will McDonald, who I believe set the program sack record last year for single-season sacks. You know, he's off to a hot start with two-and-a-half TFLs. He's one of four. Cyclones defenders with at least a couple of TFLs, including you know Mike Rose, you know, potential you know first you know day one or day two NFL draft pick next year. You know, so I think that I think is the larger trouble for UNLV is like you know they didn't really have any answers after the first couple drives on offense because Arizona State locked them down from throwing down the field, uh, and if, especially if Brumfield can't go, I just don't know if Rogers is going to be able to do that. So if they, if they are forced to play the short game, if they are forced to lean on Charles Williams, I don't think they're going to be able to hang around for very long. No, because Coach Arroyo said that. When he's out there, the ball's moving. So Yeah. <laughs> excited to see him generate that type of energy and execution for us. So yeah, it's 30-point line. I guess as of right now, it's 31 and a half. So, and it's 52, which is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and FBI, SP Plus, both favor the Cyclones as big favorites, as you might expect. Uh, FBI likes the Cyclones by 21.6. SP Plus likes them by a little bit more. They like them by 31.7. So we both have Iowa State winning. What's your, what's the score going to be? I think it's going to be a really long afternoon. I've got, I think I said uh, 42 to 17 in my preview article. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm going 40 to 13. Where it's gonna be a long, it's gonna be a long come, night. But yeah, but you know, at least the people, at least the people flying into Vegas are gonna have plenty to celebrate on the strip after the game. Both lights, remember they had the second one. <laughs> yeah. All right. The game I'm looking forward to the most is late. Not really, really late, but late. Um, Fresno State at UCLA, freaking Pac-12 Network. So we hook, we'll hook you up to get it. 7:45 p.m. at the Rose Bowl. Matt, are there going to be any jokes about nobody showing up because it's not hot in the wooden bleachers in this game? Because that was a problem when they played Hawaii. They were complaining about that stuff. Nobody's showing up. I think that I think the the red wave isn't going to be inclined to show up if they can. And didn't they sell their ticket allotment at least? Was it four thousand or two thousand? I forget. I'm I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. Yeah, whatever number it was, I don't have it offhand, but it's a couple thousand, two or four. They sold that. We were trying to get a couple hundred more as well. So there'll be a decent <clears> Fresno State representative representatives. Whether it be officially from the Red, Red Wave tickets or just people living there going and buying whatever walk-up tickets, this eleven and a half point line is ridiculous. 
I'm I like you like, okay. UCLA's shown this year to be good. We here's what we do know. They beat Hawaii who's not looking very good, who might win five games. They beat LSU, who's pretty good. We think they're pretty good, but that's the only game they played. Um, real game they played. They played McNeese State and only put up thirty-four points, thirty-four-seven. So convincing, easy victory. But I'm not sure. I think UCLA. UCLA they put up points. It's going to be sixty-threes over under. Take the over. This is going to be first to forty. I think. You think so? I I do. Like I know UCLA's defense has gotten better, but from like I was fairly impressed with how they beat Hawaii. But what we've seen from Hawaii, their defense is garbage, and so and their offense isn't much better. Fresno State, I know they had the two issues with Oregon on the offensive line, but I don't see why Fresno State can't not only cover and keep it close, but even win this game. Like who's better? Who do you want quarterback? Jay Kaner over DTR? Of course, Jay Kaner. Like he's much better than he can throw the ball. Like Jay Kanner might be, he's on par, getting close to being what Carson Strong is within the conference overall. But people don't recognize that quite yet. The defense held Oregon to not much of anything, and I think the I think Fresno is good enough to take care of UCLA and keep it in keep it at the at worst interesting. At best, they can pull the upset. I just don't know. I I, I, I don't know. I just don't. I like Fresno State's offense way too much. If they're gonna do it. They're going to do it by winning on first downs on both sides of the ball. Of course, that's yes. Because you know the one thing that UCLA wants to do in this game, and Sharp I don't see any reason why it would be it. They want to they they want to hashtag establish it. You know, through two games, you, you know their run pass ratio. They've they've called for a running play on seventy percent of their of their play calls so far. Do you know why that is? It's because they got a really good running back duo. Zach Charbonnet, Britton Brown. On first downs in particular, those guys have combined for 6.75 yards per carry. If you're Fresno State, like I'm assuming some defensive coach or other has probably got that on a whiteboard <laughs> somewhere in the locker room to be like, that cannot happen if we want to win this game. So, you know, that I think is is, is sort of a matchup of, of UCLA's offensive line, which you know, to their credit, they've looked a lot better than a lot of people would have expected. Like they, they haven't really allowed too many hits on on uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, and they've opened up massive running lanes, you know, for for the guys behind them. So, you know, that I think is going to make for a very good matchup against the Fresno State defensive line that they're playing at a very high level. You know, and I think the the Oregon State, or excuse me, the Oregon game is sort of instructive in that regard, where even against you know, ostensibly like the best offensive line unit they faced this year, they were still able to cause headaches as a team effort. You know, Aaron Mosby is obviously kind of the highlighter so far. You know, I think he's got, what, four and a half tackles for loss, three sacks in the early going. You know, he's he's shown that, you know, from moving from linebacker to defensive end, that he can still be an impact player. You know, Kevin Atkins on the inside, still an impact player. You know, you know David Perales, still an impact player. Those guys, they have the bodies up front to match up better with UCLA than than LSU and Hawaii were able to do. Their offensive line so is bad. They've that, given up six sacks this year, UCLA. And and that's you know that's you know to my other point, you know if they can get into the backfield, we still don't know like how good of a quarterback DTR is throwing the football. No, I do. Not very good. Fifty-two percent completion rate. And so the first half of that LSU game is actually really instructive. Because 
you know, you mentioned that they gave up four sacks, uh, or that they gave up six sacks on the season. They gave up four against LSU. All of them came in the first half when the game was still competitive. Yeah. You know, two of them were on third downs. One of them forced an intentional grounding. You know, one of them stalled, uh, you know, a UCLA scoring drive and forced them to punt instead near midfield. If Fresno State can get that kind of performance and maintain it throughout the course of 60 minutes, which, again, I think they're pretty equipped to do so, then that is, you know, one thing that could definitely tilt the game in their favor. And then conversely, you know, what we also saw in the Oregon game is that, you know, the running game for Fresno State hasn't been quite, you know, up to up to par so far. Like Ronnie Rivers is having an, you know, he's having an okay year running the football. I think he's only averaging four yards per play. But, you know, against the Ducks, the Bulldogs really scuffled in, in running the football, especially on first downs. It was, you know, you know we talked about it with, with UCLA and Indigo. First State had 2.7 yards per carry on first downs Either in that game. Kevin Thibodeau out for like three quarters of the game. Conversely, Jay Kaner was 11 of 16 for 107 <laughs> yards on first down. And so that's that's what I look at, and I say, you know, UCLA has they've got a they've got a solid secondary, but how much pressure are they going to be able to get on Hainer consistently? You know, how mob, how are they going to use Hainer's mobility to get him outside the pocket, get him throwing on the run, not just to Jalen Cropper, but to his legion of other pass catchers? You know, I would say that you know the on first downs they should not be shy about you know putting the ball in their star quarterback's hands, letting it fly, leading with the pass maybe a little more often than we saw uh, against both Oregon and and and, uh, and 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 the other opponents so far, UConn and Cal Poly. If they can get off to a fast start doing that, you know then all of a sudden if they get UCLA playing from behind, which you, LSU and Hawaii weren't able to do. They're gonna to have to play with a much different kind of playbook than they would typically would if they were if they were being able to sit on a lead. I would say for the main thing for ways Fresno can win, it's you mentioned the first down type stuff like, or sorry, I think it's something else. Sorry, but Zach the running game, Zach Sherbert, he only had he has only 17 carries. He's 13 yards per touch. Slow him down to what eight yards a carry is that okay Matt to get him down to eight I don't know like he's doing pretty good but I think like because Dorian Thompson Robinson doesn't scare me throwing the ball the protection's not very good so if we think Fresno State's defensive front can get to the backfield like you mentioned the, the disruption if they slow down Charbonnet right there and I don't, I'll, I'll be glad if they're if they're forcing if Fresno can push the defense offense back with their defenders and make DTR throw the ball on third and nine. You know what I mean? I'll live for yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, case, in, case in point, That's you huge. know, Oregon's, uh, they're, they're no slouches when it comes to being able to run the football, and the Ducks only averaged 3.8 yards per carry. Yeah. Like, that, that's a pretty good effort. I mean, especially considering what they went out and did against Ohio State the week after. That's why I think Fresno should be, need, not that they should, but they they have the capability to slow down this running game. If they have yes. to make him throw more often than not, like, the ratio they're going to want to run because even like Britton Brown's doing pretty good. It's almost six yards to carry on his own on 30 attempts, actually mm-hmm. leading the team in attempts. They have a two, two back, two duos back there who can run very well. But if they can slow that down and make it third and not two, like third and at least five, where it's better chances than passing, that's where Fresno comes. I think the offense can score. Like the defense will do okay, like UCLA, but and again, if Ronnie Rivers can get going a bit more. 
that's kind of what I want to see. Like the running game on each side is kind of where the key is. If Rivers can run a little bit better, they slow down the the uh, UCLA rushing attack. That's the the chance they'll have because they'll get to everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like they can they can get the quarterback. They can do all this type of stuff. So, but uh, this is going to be an exciting game. Like I don't know why it's eleven twelve points. It's something where Fresno. I'm going to call it. They're going to win. Fresno's going to win. I was wrong on Hawaii UCLA. I'm going to be right on Fresno UCLA. UCLA UCLA is not going to win this game, Matt. So what's your score prediction? It's 63 to over under. I say first to 40, so I'll just go 42-33. Why not? Okay. Lots of points. What do you got? What what advanced numbers say before? So uh, FEI likes UCLA, uh, interestingly enough, by 11.1, so almost exactly the spread. Um, SP Plus likes UCLA by a little bit more. They favor them by 18.1. Yeah, 18.1. That's a lot of points. I'm going to take Fresno State. Yeah, do it. To win outright, correct? Yes. Yes. Stay with me. I mean, I, I think that yeah, Fresno State's got a better defense than LSU and, 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 and uh, Hawaii do. And I think that if they take away what you know UCLA does best, which I think they can do, if they can force Dorian Thompson Robinson into, into mistakes, you know, we have two years worth of evidence to suggest that when you do that, you can beat UCLA. And so I think they're going to be able to finish the job that they couldn't a couple weeks ago against Oregon. I've got them winning 34 to 31. 34, 31, close one. Okay. All right. Perfect. Next game here. This last game of the day, San Jose state at Hawaii. That is correct. Late, late, late game. FS one, nine 30, Hawaiian time. I'm correct. Nine 30 Pacific. San Jose State is a six, dude, a six and a half road favorite at Hawaii. That sounds about right. <laughs> As I question that, Hawaii has been. What is um? Is there a particular word for bad in Hawaiian? That's a you know the other kind of slang type word. Is there a slang for bad in Hawaii that you're aware of? I don't know if bad is the right word. That, terrible. They have, they have awful. Def- they have, <laughs> they've been they have been volatile. Okay, explain yourself. So, I mean, I mean, to consider for instance, like how they looked against UCLA, and then they went out and you were they were gangbusters, especially on offense against Portland State, and then you know went out last week and looked you know pretty uh, pretty pretty dicey against Oregon State. Um, but but even then, like you know they were they suffered a slow start, and they were able to put it together and make it a game later on, and so. You know, part of part of the mystery is okay. Well, which Hawaii team is actually going to show up? Is it the team that gets off to a fast start, or is it the team that dooms itself within the first fifteen minutes? I don't know. That's that's you think the difference could be whoever the way the first little bit goes, first quarter. That, that's the way it's been basically since the beginning of last year. Because we've seen the first half where it's been oh crap, we got to play catch up and it's close, but it really wasn't close. Yeah. So how can Hawaii avoid that, you think, against a San Jose State team that has reigning defensive player of the year, two great two great guys on the outside, a good quarterback, um, Tyler Evans, a solid running back, Isaiah Hamilton, like all these guys they have. How can they put it together? Because my concern for Hawaii is the defense has clearly underachieved by quite a bit. I think they need to be more successful on early downs. Because, you know, one of the things that that stands out to me in looking back at Siobhan Cordero's performance, like in, in the first couple of games, is he has been better, like, in 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 
you know, third down situations than he has been on first and second down, which, you know, if you can, if you can sort of bail yourself out of the, uh, out of situations, then that's a good skill to have. But then you wouldn't necessarily need to do that if you weren't completing only 51% of your passes on first down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, he's only got, you know, what, 287 yards on 47 first down attempts, only eight first downs on first down. I would imagine he would want at least a few more conversions or at least a few more receptions to, to set themselves up in, in more uh, more makeable situations. So, like, if he can be a little bit better on, on early downs, that I think is going to go a long way. Same thing with the Hawaii rushing game. Like, you can't exactly adjust for sacks, but, you know, they're only averaging 3.6 yards per play on, or yards per carry, excuse me, on first downs. So, you know, I think it's going to be sort of a team effort to just put themselves in, you know, more makeable situations to be a little more efficient a little more often. It's sort of like those those incremental improvements where, you know, they've, they've been, you know, middle of the pack in terms of third down conversions to this point. But you sort of wonder, like, with, with better early down production, could they have been a little bit better? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, especially since... You know they've been plenty aggressive about going up forward on third uh, on fourth downs as well, but they haven't been nearly as successful either. Like last year, they were ten of thirteen on fourth downs. This year, so far, they're only two of nine. So I think you know the process has you know paid off or hasn't necessarily paid off. Like I like the process, yeah. it hasn't necessarily worked out. But I think if you can just make your life a little bit easier on those early downs, then you may not necessarily need to roll the dice quite as often. It's sort of like a cascading effect. Makes sense, yeah. So, I'm trying to think. Like, going on the road, Hawaii is always tough at home. And so, it's hard for me to be going through. I know, well, this isn't really, well, who cares they're playing at the 9,000 seat stadium where I believe, is it still nobody's allowed at the stadium, correct? Nobody's allowed, no. Okay. It's not necessarily a home game because you're not at Aloha Stadium. But you got the travel involved. And even, I think San Jose State's like the closest team. Them or San Diego State are the closest schools to Hawaii. But it's still like a four-hour flight or something, five-hour flight. Four-hour, three-hour mm-hmm. time change from them. So it's a, like going across the country, East Coast to West Coast or vice versa. So them being a f- road favorite by that much is concerning. But we've seen a lot of concerns for Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing we mentioned, besides slow starts, which we've gotten into, who's going to run the, run the dang ball? You know what I mean? Like... Didi Hart's been garbage. Shavon Cordero can't lead the team rushing. I talked to these guys on ESPN Hawaii the other day. Like, because I put in my uh, overreaction, goodbye Hawaii. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, show me a defense that shows up. Show me who's going to run the ball. Calvin Turner can't have 40, t- 40 touches or attempts or attempted to get him the ball 40 times a game. He can't have, what, 17 targets last game, 10 rushes, whatever he gets from a turn game. He can't do it all. They need to find somebody else. And that's, I think, their big concern is finding somebody else who can help out in offense. And plus, not including, well, defense is another story, but like they need to find somebody else in offense, a, a running game of some sort to give some sort of balance. Because Cordero, yeah, six touchdowns, nearly 900 yards, but he's barely over 50% passing the ball this year. I like how we've talked about all this and haven't mentioned a single person on San Jose State's defense so far. Sorry, Kate Hall, go sack Cordero five times. There you go. Well, I mean, I think it's sort of it's sort of like an interesting matchup because, like, we've seen Hawaii struggle to protect, but in the in the early going, San Jose State hasn't been quite as proficient when it comes to getting after the quarterback. 
you know, even against, you know, Southern Utah, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, that game and the USC game, they only have, uh, I want to say, like, three sacks in the first two games. So, you know, Cade Hall is still looking for his first sack. Viliami Fahoko only has one. And they've been close a few times, but, you know, I think there's still the matter of, okay, well, is Hawaii going to be able to figure out the protections and keep those guys off of them? Or is it going to be sort of a repeat of last year where those guys had their way in more or less establishing that that slow Hawaii start that we just talked about a couple minutes ago? They Until otherwise, I'm not going to believe they can start off too quickly. Yeah, I mean, your case in point, the pass rush has been a little slower so far. But again, I wonder if that's indicative of like you're playing against USC or, or anything Ooh. else. But I think, you know, considering they've got pretty much every major contributor coming back, Hawaii should have its work cut out for it. Clearly, because last year, like last year, they had was a four, only one sack, but four TFLs in last year's game. So yeah, like, well, I mean, it, it, even just in, outside of, like, you know, raw sack totals and stuff like that, like, you know, the fact that Siobhan Cordero is always having to throw on the move yeah, is good. sort of proof, like, you know, that you force him into mistakes that way. And that was true of both of his interceptions last week against Oregon State. And San Jose State is definitely the kind of defense that can punish those same kind of mistakes. Yeah, they have Hoko, they have Hall, they have all these guys back there who can get to the quarterback. It's one of the two rushing one side this play, next side the other play is like crap. I'm rolling left, rolling right, and that's where it comes back to. Like San, San Jose State's defense is good; those players, but that's where not having a running game hurts you a lot because if you mm-hmm. can't mix in play action, you can't mix in this. Like when they, I remember when they played UCLA, they did some rollouts and stuff. But San Jose State guys on both sides of the ball; it's not just one side that's stronger or weak relatively. They're both really good, both those guys on the outside. But the, mm-hmm. Hawaii needs to get do do some plays to misdirection or something outside of duh, let's protect the quarterback and get the running game going. But if that's not working as well, mix in some counters, mix in some draw plays, mix in something a bit different where the defense, if they're going to blitz, they can't just come and get you. And Cordier is running for his life in like less than two seconds. Mm-hmm. I, again, like, like all these, Hawaii is like a team right now. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So I'm like, I believe they can run the ball. Well, not really. I'm like, I believe they can protect the quarterback. Not really. Can they have a good start? I don't know. Not probably not. So I'm not gonna. Tr- I'm not putting any trust in Hawaii at the moment until they show me otherwise. And I don't think this is the game where they're gonna show me something positive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair sentiment. I mean, so like, how much is there to say then about San Jose State's offense versus the Hawaii defense? <laughs> um, Tyler Evans is gonna average back to a seven yards to carry. I think maybe is that a possibility? <laughs> I mean, it might be. I'm just saying, like, Hawaii's defense has been like I thought the DC and everybody Victor there would have it going forward after last year. Again, that's the other reason I'm not high in Hawaii anymore, where they, like, I thought they had stuff together, and they just been, because we thought the offensive coaches being gone would be a big issue, which it has been. Figured, okay, the defense, all the starters back, what they did last year, that credit and everything they did last year just washed away. It's done. Yeah, I mean, like the biggest problem is just that they don't have a consistent pass rush. And against a team like San Jose State, you know, the Spartans can eat them alive if they don't have a consistent pass rush. Like, you know, Ote Bakers showed out a little bit. Jonah Laulu showed out a little bit. But they've been pushed around on the defensive line. And, you know, obviously I think, you know, having, you know, Darius Musau back um, is going to play a factor. Was it because he got called for targeting in, the, in this past? Was it this game or the week before that he got called for targeting? I suddenly can't remember. <sighs> I don't recall either. I apologize. I'm he's actually, sure. uh, he's listed as a backup. 
So maybe maybe he's going to come the in the first second half. half of the game. I apologize that I don't know this off the top of my head. Sorry, you don't know um, one targeting play out of 12 teams out of how many games we watched. It's okay. Yeah, so so he you know, he can't do it all by himself. Like they just they have to get more production up front than they've been getting. And if they don't, then San Jose State can go out and even if Nick Starkle is is off in the same way that you know, we got off to a slow start in the same matchup last year. Um you know, he you know that you know Nevins is good enough to break a few runs and and break the game wide open. And you know, if if they can't get pressure on Starkle, he'll eventually find a way to pick him apart. Of course, he'll go for like four fifty. Maybe, yeah. I'm just saying a lot of yards, maybe not four fifty, but I'm just saying three hundred plus. I get what you're saying. So what do you got? What's the advanced numbers say? So uh, FEI favors San Jose State, though maybe not by as much as you might expect. They like the Spartans by just two points. Interesting. Uh, SP Plus favors them by a little bit more, though. They favor SJSU by 6.7. So what do you say? Oh, I'm going to take San Jose State all day. Both? Or, or all night in this case. <laughs> or morning, to, right? to, to win it, To win and cover. I'm with you on that. What's your score? Uh, 42 to 30. Whoa, 42 to 30. You think they'll yeah. get to 30? <laughs> yeah. Offense, offense has not really been the problem for Hawaii. I guess running the offense, running offenses. Um, yeah. Um, 61 to over under. Uh, I'm going to go, they're going to, I'll go 35, 27. So they'll be interesting enough, but. So again, here's my point. Hawaii's gonna have some sort of comeback, right? They'll score like 14 straight points to make it interesting, but it'll be like 13 to 12 going into the fourth quarter or something. Yeah. So that's where I, that's where I'm kind of leaning with that one. So that's it for the show. Oh boy, 90 minutes, Matt. All 100 minutes, Matt. Almost two hours. What are we doing here? Giving people You're what welcome. they want, I guess. You're welcome. Crazy good show. Lots of time. So hope you listen to the whole thing. If you're here, let us know at the end because that's good to know. But mwr.com. Check out all the previews we have coming up. We have. Anything you need for this week, listen to this, find your team, go through it again, subscribe, let people know. It's all Saturday, so check out our Twitter as well, MWCWire, where you and I will be doing some tweets throughout the day because it'll be a, like we said, a capital L long day if you're watching every game, right? Mm-hmm. 9 a.m. Pacific to 9, 30, 9 to 9, 12-hour days, essentially. I'm looking at my 10 mountain here, but 10 a.m. mountain, 10 30 mountain for the opening closing kick. So have fun this weekend, and hey, hope your team wins, right? Yes.